0: To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com.
1: Definitely change perspectives. It, as I mentioned, all that travel, if you want to broaden your perspective, if you're kind of a young person, maybe you grew up in a city, maybe you grew up in a country, or wherever you grew up or suburbs, and you've had kind of a vanilla life, if you want to broaden your experience, best thing to do is go travel, just see the world. You will meet some very interesting people from different cultures and learn that. The way you grew up is not necessarily the way, in fact, it's not the way that most people are going to live. Most people have very different experiences and it's good to learn from them.
0: Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries.
1: Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran
0: vertical farming podcast season nine regular listeners to the show welcome back i appreciate you coming back each and every week sharing these episodes with your friends sharing these episodes with the folks in the vertical farming community whether it's in person whether it's online whether it's on socials i see you i appreciate you and you get a big virtual hug from me if this is your first time listening i'm sure you're in the right place because this is the show where we interview fascinating ceos and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world I'm your host, Harry Duran, podcasting since 2014 with my first show, Podcast Junkies, and founder of Fullcast, our full service done for you podcast agency. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with Tinia Pina of Renewable. Tina and I connected at Indoor Ag Con way back, it feels like way back, months ago, months ago in Las Vegas. And she was in one of the booths in the corner. And then I noticed that she was doing something interesting in the space, and I reached out. To her and we were able to make the conversation happen it took a little bit of back and forth but we had a great conversation so check that out we talk a little bit about our shared experiences in new york the evolution of renewable the challenges and growth In sustainable agriculture and the innovative approach they're taking with creating renewable materials from the outputs of vertical farming this week i speak to chris rawley he is the founder and ceo of harvest returns in this engaging conversation we sit down with chris and we talk about his experiences as a navy veteran a globetrotter, and a commercial real estate investor he shared his journey about bridging the gap between investors and farmers through his platform harvest returns and he shares how his experience in the navy, traveling across 60 countries and sharing meals and connecting with locals, really colored his experience and his exposure to different perspectives. His travel tales are not only intriguing, but they shed light on the dichotomy between food systems in developed and less fortunate countries. He talks candidly about the hurdles faced in financing agtech and the necessity of building trust in the industry. With the team at Harvest Returns, Chris has developed different financing structures and also stresses the importance of building relationships, which is something that he learned from his travels. Chris also emphasizes the importance of sustainability, risk management, and investigation in farming. Lots of takeaways from this. If you have been considering financing for a project or in the middle of financing or have gone through the process yourself, I know there's gonna be a lot of interesting takeaways and you're gonna learn a lot about Chris's experience going through it himself. I'd be remiss if i didn't give a special shout out to the team at vertifarm who is a great host for me this past week in dortmund germany had a long day long trip both ways traveling out there but it was well worth it i got to connect with the team there past guests made some amazing new connections and you'll be hearing more of those at least five or six more queued up brand new ceos that i met there and just seeing all the innovation that's happening in this space It's really insightful for me. And even better than that, I got to spend some quality time with some folks there. We went out to dinner. We went out for a couple of events, got to see a local football game. And yes, I mean European football, not American football. (laughs) And it was fun to really go deep as opposed to wide and shallow sometimes with these conferences and these events. Narrow and Deep has been a bit more of my focus and something I'm appreciative of. So shout out to all the new folks I met at the conference, new relationships built, new partnerships formed, and deepening relationships that were already strong, but are getting stronger. So I highly encourage you check out a future indoor farming event. I think that may be it for me this year, but I'll definitely be queuing up my calendar for indoor AgCon next year, which looks like it will be February in Las Vegas. But if anything comes up before then, then of course, you'll be the first to know. If you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me more happy, I'm telling you this, than to read these out on a future episode. So if you've been listening and you've been holding off, I'm talking to you, listener, then ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP is where you should be next. You can actually pause this and go do that now. I'd love that. Remember, you don't need a notepad as you're listening to this because these episodes are full of great takeaways. I want you to focus all your energy on this conversation. Rest assured, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode, which includes all guest links as well. Okay, let's jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Chris. But before we do, a few words from the amazing partners that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Horty Agri Next, November 20th to the 22nd. In this first edition of the conference, you can expect a vibrant show that will bring together a portfolio of high-level horticulture technology to the Emirates, with the goal of aiding the Emirates to take the next step in becoming more self-sufficient in their food production, aligning with their 2051 goals. The show is expecting 8 to 10,000 visitors over the three days and will include investors, buyers, curious farmers, government officials, university professors, and association members. Booths are still available and exhibitors are welcome. Partners for the conference include the Abu Dhabi Agriculture and Food Safety Authority, Dutch Greenhouse Delta, and Wageningen University, which will provide a wealth of knowledge and insight. Sessions will include a mix of Emirati and Dutch speakers and will highlight how these different worlds will come together in partnership. Based in Abu Dhabi, the agricultural hub of the UAE, the government's involvement will ensure that companies interested in partnering with the Emirates receive their full support. Co-located with VIVMEA 2023, the premier show in livestock production and animal husbandry, this week will provide a comprehensive look at the entire ag industry supply chain, both vertically and horizontally. If you're considering container farming, then look no further than Farm Anywhere. Astute listeners will recognize the name from my conversation on episode 99 with Gabriel Zarafanitis. Farm Anywhere is renowned for their state-of-the-art container farms and complementary agricultural equipment, which guarantees a robust start to your indoor farming venture. Even better, Farm Anywhere is providing a discount exclusively to listeners of this show. A $5,000 reduction in delivery fees, no monthly subscription charges, and many other benefits. To take advantage of this special offer, visit farmanywhere.ag forward slash VFP. I've been excited about the work the team is doing at Farm Anywhere since my conversation with Gabriel, and this is a fantastic offer you should take advantage of if it's a fit for you. The link again, farmanywhere.ag forward slash VFP. So Chris Raleigh, founder and CEO of Harvest Returns. Thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast.
1: Really happy to be here today, Harry. Thanks. So where are you dialing in from? So we are in Fort Worth, Texas, Cowtown, but it's also a vertical farming town because we like to invest in vertical farms. Is that uh, you born and raised there, or where'd you grow up? I was born and raised in Dallas, which is just adjacent to Fort Worth. For folks that are not familiar with the area,
0: what's the selling point, or what's the highlight? What keeps you there?
1: It's big and flat and hot this time of year. That's what most people are thinking about. But it's a great town, terrific food scene. It is in the middle of agriculture country, so if you go just not too far outside of Dallas or Fort Worth, you're going to find ranches and farms and things like that. And, and in the city, we do have some urban farms, and it's a great sports team for sure, but it's, it's a great place to have a business.
0: Yeah, I think it's always interesting, especially with the changes and in, in what's happening and climate across a bunch of different areas. People are always open to new opportunities to try out. You know, the way what climate was in a specific area maybe 10, 20 years ago seems to have changed drastically yeah. nowadays. So I think people are open to trying out new places to live and the fact that everyone's remote as well. I'm wondering if, if that's had an impact with you in terms of the, you know how, how you think about business in terms of people looking for that flexibility of being able to work from home.
1: Yeah, I mean, for our company specifically, we're kind of a hybrid company. We've got people that are fully remote, people that are partially remote, people that are mostly in the office. So. It's just flexibility is something employees are definitely looking for these days. And then, of course, they work with companies all over the country. But, uh, you know, farms, that's one of those things you can't really do remotely, even indoor farms, vertical farms. So we definitely understand that.
0: So I wanted to just uh, rewind the clock a bit. You've had a a really diverse and interesting history in terms of your resume, in terms of the, the jobs you've had. I've seen you've spent some time in the Navy, so thank you for your service as well. I appreciate that. Can you talk a little bit about your background for folks that may not know you or just to kind of introduce you to the listener? I know you've got experience in data systems and communications and obviously a lot of the work that you were doing with some of the defense companies you were working with. So whatever feels your call to talk about and share in terms of like those experiences and how they eventually will make our way to present day. But I thought some of that would be valuable.
1: Yeah, I definitely did not grow up in a farming family like many of the people that we work with. You know, every day I talk to farmers that are second, third, fourth, even more generations than that in the farming business. Vertical Farms is a little bit different because you do see some legacy farming family people there, but also people that's their first time in, in the farming business. So I grew up in, in a city, not a lot of touch with agriculture. And then, as you mentioned, I was in the Navy and fortunately in that role. I had many great opportunities to travel. I've traveled to roughly 60 countries or so, and many of them in developing world, places like Africa, where there's just not all of the opportunities that we have. in the food system is radically different than what we here experience in the U.S. In the U.S., food system is very centralized, at least with things like growing leafy greens. It's reliant on a global supply chain. So you have 365 days a year fruit and vegetables that shouldn't be ripe coming in and being imported from South American places like that. Ripe is so straight to our grocery stores or our markets and farmers markets and very vast distribution system. And of course, terrific restaurant scene in a lot of cities. And in the developing world, most of that is just not a thing. People tend to buy their food at a local farmer's market or grow it themselves. And so that was very interesting with me as I was traveling to learn about, you know, how that is. And, you know, of course, food insecurity in many places, especially these days, is a big problem. So back in 2016, I did work in these other industries. I worked in commercial real estate and I worked in technology and did a lot of investing in various things. And back in 2015, 16, became very interested in farming, decided that rather than trying to buy a farm or start a farm, which I really didn't have the know how to do, that we were going to invest in farming and there were not a lot of great ways to do that. So my partner, Austin Mannes, and I, we put together this company that enables people to come in, farmers come to us that need capital, and we have an investor side as well. So investors that want to diversify their portfolio by investing in farming, farming, and we Basically, put the two together and give the up- investors the opportunity to help people start new farms to expand existing businesses or get into new areas. And we've been doing it for quite some time now. We've raised uh, over $30 million for a number of farmers, including vertical farms. On the vertical farm side, we've done everything, you know, another term everybody's probably heard is controlled environment agriculture. So just indoor growing. We've done everything from large-scale greenhouses to the kind of more urban, smaller vertical farms that people might be familiar with. To We consider indoor aquaculture as part of the whole indoor agriculture scene, so we've done a couple of those as well. And then we've done some unique things, like uh, a couple up in New York. One was a alternative, or two sort of alternative protein companies. One, a uh, growing spirulina microalgae, so it's a really cool thing. A lot of people are putting it as a supplement in there, smoothies it's a company called we are the new farmers up there and then another one called pete which is in brooklyn and they do uh sort of circular farming where they're taking food waste from restaurants and they're growing these really great mushrooms and then they're selling them back to the restaurants it's, it's really cool so and across you know the, all these deals and then we also do livestock and we do some vineyards and specialty types of farms and then we do some technology companies that support the vertical farming industry and other aspects of farming so we've kind of seen a bunch but you know, we basically help raise money for anything except for sort of a wheat farm row crop farm soybean farm corn that sort of thing conventional crop growing just because there's other sources of capital for those folks
0: yeah it definitely seems like you've got your hand on a lot of different aspects of farming in general and then specifically of all the different niches that are happening and within you know a lot of things that are hot now in vertical farming like mushroom farming I'm curious because, you know, a large portion of your time, you know, you're talking about uh, a little bit of your experience prior and given how much time you spent with the Navy, how did that color? Like, who were you when you went in and who were you? You know, it looks like 30 years. Like, uh, how did that change your, like your view of life, your experience, yeah. you know, the people you met there? I, I imagine it must have been a, just a really life changing and a perspective changing experience.
1: Yeah. It definitely changed perspectives. It, as I mentioned, all that travel if you want to broaden your perspective, if you're kind of a young person and you know maybe you grew up in a city, maybe you grew up in a country, wherever you grew up or suburbs and you've had kind of a vanilla life, if you want to broaden your experience, best thing to do is go travel, just see the world. You will meet some very interesting people from different cultures and learn that the way you grew up is not necessarily the way, in fact, it's not the way that most people are going to live. Most people have very different experiences and It's good to learn from them and the Navy specifically. I learned a lot about risk because we did some dangerous things and, you know, looking at what the worst case scenario is and most likely scenario and probabilities of a failure and have tried to translate that into my business as especially on the investing side, as we look at farms that we're going to invest in and, and helping them, helping us and our investors and the farmers themselves understand what that risk sort of looks like for their business. For folks who never had
0: or never will have that sort of experience, is there any, I'm sure you've got dozens if not hundreds of stories <laughs> related to your time there, but is there one that maybe stands out and
1: obviously one that you can share <laughs> related to that experience? Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. Some of my best times were just, you know, the people you work with, both for me, I was in the Navy, work with some just really great people from all walks of life, and then On the other side, you get to meet. And a lot of the work that I did in the latter part of my Navy career was in Africa, where we're working with small navies that, you know, they we wouldn't even call them a Navy. We wouldn't even call them a Coast Guard, but they're just hardworking people. And those are probably the best memories I have of just, you know, seeing these foreign cultures and then interacting with them in the context of the job and sharing meals together. I can remember some great meals where we were sitting around in Africa in the middle of nowhere essentially sitting around eating a goat and they you know with the head of it those sorts of meals you see on some of these eating shows and you kind of have to do it because that's what's culturally expected and you know it'd be disrespectful if you didn't so you just kind of get through it and you know they crack the the sheep's head or the goat's head and they bring out the brain and then if you actually do it and eat it you kind of win their respect and they're impressed with you so you got to get over any sort of food fears you might have when you're in that setting.
0: Yeah, I imagine it builds up that ability for you to take chances. And also the the thing that you touched upon, it's really important, is like honoring their cultures and seeing the world from a different perspective and that, you know, a lot of times people who haven't traveled, they think that the way they grew up or the way that we see things from in the U.S. is the way everyone else should, you know, without taking into consideration, right, right. you know, what people's cultures that are probably older than the United States as well in terms of like, you know, traditions and how they carry things down. And I think seeing that and being able to honor and respect that. And then that's almost the way that you connect with people there, which is different. That's how, you know, business is done. That's how transactions are made. You know, they want to know that they can trust you and they feel that comfort level with you first. I think that's very important.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that is something that's kind of universal that does tie into this business is sharing things over food and drink, right? Yeah. You know, No matter where you go in the world, that's a shared experience. It it might look different, you know, eating in a sushi restaurant in Manhattan versus eating in a desert sitting around a a goat's head, but you're still doing, you know, you're still sharing culture and transacting business and getting to know people and understand people better. So it's, it's something that, that is universal. Did you find it hard
0: when you got back, you know, to explain to people what that's like for people that uh, will never do that at that that level? (laughs)
1: It is. And that's why I do tell people, you know, that military travel is one piece of it. Doing dangerous things is another piece of it. And being in environments where there's ongoing wars and things like that's another piece of it. But the travel is, when you talk to people that haven't really traveled much, it is challenging to kind of relate that. Although, you know, more and more people can, people have access to so much content these days of YouTube and, you know, just movies. And it's a much more that the networks bring in content that to people and open people's eyes that they may not have seen previously. So that's a little bit easier, but there is sometimes hard relating to people that haven't had that same background.
0: I think what's happening, what I'm seeing a trend towards is because there's such a movement towards virtual and AI and remote, you know, people Mm -hmm. think they're having the experience, but they're having a perception of what that's like. And now I feel like I grew up DJing, so I'd really appreciate the fact that I can. I have vinyl, and I, I bought a nice turntable, and I can physically touch something and play it and put the yeah. needle on. And and these, yeah. these physical experiences, I think I read that some Amazon was doing like in person, like book readings or something like that. Because which is funny because they're switching yeah. back. And I think you know we're gonna. It's like a pendulum, right? As it's with all things, we we need like the physical. We need to touch and experience and be in front of someone, and and, and eat a meal. Not just watch a blogger talk about it. Yeah, something.
1: and now more than ever, you know, post COVID, people want to connect with other people in person and share those experiences and experience new things. And yeah, I really think that's what we have to encourage young folks growing up to get away from their screens and yeah. their devices and their content and all that, and interact with one another. Would you say you have a love
0: for the open sea?
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's what I did for so long. I oh, like the, the ocean.
0: What's that like? Because most people will not get past the shore <laughs> when they're on the beach and they don't understand. It. And I've done it a couple of times where you travel far enough where you lose sight of the shore and it's a bit jarring the first time it happens. And then just having that, that huge expanse of just ocean, I imagine, you know, the first time it happens, it's, you know, jaw dropping, I imagine. And it must, it's something that needs to be experienced. Yeah, I mean, it, it's
1: puts you, your life into perspective in that we're all pretty insignificant alone. That the the vastness of the ocean, especially in the Pacific Ocean, where you can travel for days and days and days and not see another ship, person, whatever, you know, anything outside the lifelines of your ship, it kind of brings it all into perspective that this is a really big world, but it's also small. You know, it's increasingly small by the way we are gonna travel and connect with one another. So you mentioned, you know, those
0: experiences and you started thinking about the opportunity to work with farms and food. How did that get on your radar? Like what was happening in your world at that time where you started to look at, you know, food production, you mentioned like your experiences in other countries, but like, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, personally what was happening for you or or this was really something where you felt like you had to do something in this space?
1: Yeah, a lot of it had to do with where I moved. So you know, I'd lived in sort of urban areas and I'd done all this travel. And then several years ago, when I moved back to Texas from Florida, I moved out to a fairly rural area where I drove to work every day and passed these large ranches. And fortunately, most of those ranches are still there, although there is some development in the past 10 years. But, you know, I saw cows and traveled not too far and saw farms of various types and you know, started to get that combined with my overseas travels, that appreciation for farming and a different sort of lifestyle than I'd ever lived. And like I said, other than starting a farm, which I really didn't feel like I had the wherewithal to do, investing in the farm seemed like the next best thing for me. And as we've kind of gone along with this company, we've seen that there are people out there that feel the same where they grew up in urban areas or they live in urban areas. But they want to connect to the grounds in some way and, you know, getting out there, obviously getting out and spending time in nature is is amazing and people should do it. But connecting with the food system by investing is the way we've decided to do that. So we put people in touch with different types of farmers and so parts, I think that's part of the mission that we really have a passion for. How was it going
0: in those early days when, you you know, obviously a lot of it has to do with connections, your experience in financing other projects, maybe non-farm related, your introduction to an industry that you're new to. So, you know, having been an, being an entrepreneur myself, I know that there's a lot of challenges when you're first getting started in a new space. And so what was the mindset or how did you approach that in terms of like figuring out where to make your first deal or how to have those early conversations or I imagine referrals and connections were a big part of that as well.
1: The thing with entrepreneurship is you just, especially if you're starting in a field that's not mature. And for us, crowdfunding farms was entirely new in 2016. Nobody else was doing it. Now there's some other people that are out there doing other companies, but it was brand new. And we were brand new to farming, although my co-founder, Austin, he spent his summers working on farms, family farms and things like that. He had more of a touch on that side. I had more of a touch on the investment side. And, you know, we brought those two together and thing without, especially when you're brand new starting a company, it's always like, what do I do now? What's the next step? I mean, you can think of some logical steps, but a lot of it is completely illogical. And so building your network is the best way to do that. So we started learning because we knew there was a lot to learn, especially on the, the ag side and going to conferences and obviously a lot of reading and talking to people and meeting people and the, the first Deal is always the hardest deal. And we had some stumbles and some mistakes. And, you know, we still make mistakes, but fewer and fewer as we've done more iterations of, of raising capital for these farms. And it's just a matter of you've got to get out there and do it. And you can't, you've got to be sort of fearless because you and go in knowing you're going to fail and you're going to make mistakes. And that's just part of the process.
0: So for those early transactions or those early deals, what had been their go-to for financing prior to connecting with a company like Harvest Returns?
1: Yeah, it really depends. I mean, it took us a while to figure out our niches that I sort of described with the indoor farming or specialized livestock production, regenerative agriculture, those sorts of things. So we were kind of, we were chasing the wrong things at first. We were looking at, oh, we're just going to do any kind of agriculture. Well, there's a very well-established agriculture funding system, banking system, agriculture credit unions, things like that. At the same time, that system hasn't changed in about 50 years, and it's only focused on supporting people doing similar types of things, large-scale, conventional, chemical-intensive agriculture. So if you're doing anything outside of that, those people don't know how to underwrite it. So we came out of the gates knowing that we were a little more creative than that, those types of financing, and knowing that we would a little more hungry for deals. And so we again. Competing or uh, developing some creative financing structures both on the debt side with loans and on the equity side with bringing outside investors and it's proven to be a successful model thus far because the one thing those farmers as they come to us are looking for is flexibility and they've been told a lot of times they've been told no just because they're doing something different vertical farming is a great example of that people don't understand it we've started to build some expertise in it so we know what in Not only what investors like, but what is likely to succeed from a a business model or likely not succeed from a business model. So, and because we've made some mistakes and we've seen companies do well and companies struggle and we have a little better idea and we've decided, you know, way over the past six, seven years, we've built up a level of expertise that makes us more comfortable with working with these farmers and hopefully makes them more comfortable working with us versus just going to a bank or Small business administration, or something like that something that uh, just came to mind as you were
0: sharing your earlier experiences, brick and bread with some of these different cultures and that being the basis for developing relationships, did you find as you started to have conversations with farmers, you know there's a trust factor involved, especially with banks. I imagine there's a, a long history of like farmers not trusting banks and banks you know not really being confident in farmers' ability to pay back loans and things like that so you know there's probably a, a rocky relationship when it comes to, to money and farms that goes way mm-hmm. back. And so did you encounter some of that early on? and and I imagine your experiences probably helped with that?
1: Definitely, and we still do. I mean, we yeah. we constantly have people come to us that say they hate the, their bank, they hate bankers, they hate their bank. they hate the system. and then it's understandable. The banking system is kind of because it's highly, highly regulated. a lot of bankers have to be conservative just in their DNA. And they can't try anything because they're not allowed to. And that the more heavily regulated the industry gets, the worse it becomes. And right now we're kind of one of those low points in a cycle where banks just simply aren't lending. So if you're a farm, want to start a farm or want to expand your farm, there's not a lot of options for you right now, especially if you're doing something like regenerative agriculture or vertical farming. So that's good for our business.
0: When you look at a deal, you know, Part of the challenges with farms is obviously they can promise. And in the beginning, you're dealing with open field, right? So there's the challenges of being able to s- produce or, or say that you're going to be able to produce what you can do. So what were the, some of the early ne- the needs of the first deals? What were they looking for? They're looking to expand operations. Is it equipment
1: or, you know, where was the need early on? Yeah. So let's just take a vertical farm, urban farm, for example. There's a lot of different aspects to that. There's the real estate. Aspect where you're gonna either lease a space or buy a building, repurpose a building. There's obviously the growing equipment, very specialized growing equipment. It's capital intensive. Some people have built their own, which is interesting. And we've seen some people do that successfully. Other people, you know, as the industry matures, there's more and more options, more and more technology available from the grow lights to the control systems to the planting mediums, the vertical or Horizontal or you know whatever you're growing, and then operating costs, which is something a lot of people when they're putting together these business plans, they don't spend a lot of, of time or thinking about. It. They're more interested on the growing piece, not so much the oh gosh, I gotta I've got to stay in business for while I build, you know, while I grow things. And so you know, as we've kind of seen some of these, and then especially you know, electricity is crazy, and those prices, inflation has driven up those prices and input costs and all those sorts of things have to be taken into account. So we talked to a lot of the farmers that want to get into this business or have, and, you know, those early deals we did, a lot of that was kind of assumed that it would go okay and, you know, it wished away some of the problems. And now we've seen as the industry has matured a little bit, you know, both on large scale growers and small scale growers, that there are some challenges, real challenges and, but we're still very, very bullish on the this sector and we're you know, want to continue to help people invest in it.
0: What were some of the differences you saw as you started to move into transactions that were more vertical farming based as opposed to what you had been doing up to that point in like open field farming?
1: Yeah, it was under going back to risk and understanding risk is people just didn't understand the risk, vertical farming, that there are significant risks. You can have diseases. We had one of our vertical farmers lose an entire basil crop and cause some challenges. We had other people assume it's going to be easy, and yeah, you're not breaking your back out outside in the heat or the cold, but you're. It's still a very manual, intensive labor type of thing. You know, moving, you know, harvesting and planting, and you know, it's a, it's a different. It's not necessarily that back breaking work, but it's a lot to grow, but also to run the business side of the things, including the distribution, the sales, the marketing. Maybe the hard part is standing out at a farmer's market all day on a Saturday, you know, trying to sell what you've grown or, you know, hustling to make deliveries or, you know, selling the restaurants and sending your samples around to restaurants, however you're distributing for say a small scale vertical farm. So people sort of these early deals and even sometimes today we see it. People just don't think about what is the execution of this, uh, this business look like because. You can grow, you can set up a business and you can grow and you can maybe sell a little bit, but there's a fine line between having an expensive hobby and having a business that can grow and make money for people involved. And on our side, it's even there's even more challenges because you've got investors that you have to provide a return to. And so that's another you know, thing that people just don't necessarily think about when they're, they have this sort of dream of, I'm going to start a vertical farm. There's a lot involved with doing that.
0: I think what we've seen, obviously with some of the closings, restructurings, bankruptcy filings of recent news. And, you know, we're seeing more of that than ever. And everyone's calling it the trough of disillusionment that we're in now when it comes to, to CEA or ver- specifically vertical farms. And I think a lot of what we're seeing is that people were felt that they were a technology company as opposed to being without having any experience in farming. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing how that pl- has played out. I imagine, you know, given your all your, your life experiences, you've you started, you've become a pretty good judge of people and, and, you know, you can tell, you know, who's in it for real and who's not. So yeah. what are some of the common traits when you've seen and you've had, you know, so many conversations with people and you've started and you've decided who you want to work with? What are some common traits of, of in, in those people where you can see that they, they do have a chance for success?
1: Yeah, I mean, just an hour ago, I had a call with a vertical farming company that started out on the technology side and they had to prove you know you develop the technology but you've got to prove it works so you have to be a farmer too or do some pilot programs and now they want well they were sort of the farming they want to do farming and then they were technology now they're pivoting to selling the technology licensing the technology so there's a lot of not sure people or a lot of companies right now they're not sure which direction they're going to go so they started out as a technology farming company hoping that They could do it all well the two are very distinct you know growing a tech company requires generally fast growth high levels of investment sooner or later you do have to provide a product that you can sell for a profit whereas a farming company has to start out making profits from the get-go or else they're not going to be in business very long and so those two dynamics work against one another if you're trying to the arrow farms and the plenties and all these companies, app harvest that we've seen sort of tried to do both things. So now we're seeing more of a you know, differentiation in the industry where you're either a farmer or you're a tech provider. And that's a good thing. We've the companies that we work for that we've helped thus far, although some of them have done some of their own technology, they're primarily farming production farms. So they went in, they acquired or leased or bought or whatever, somebody else's technology and put it to work. In some cases, they've, you know, kind of hand created their own, built their own, you know, a lot of PVC pipes and growing trays and all that sort of thing. And that's okay model, but the, the business is still very much dynamic, this sector. And, you know, we want to fight. Some people know the story of Ray Kroc, you know, and McDonald's and how he created this whole fast food industry. Essentially, it was a crazy idea back when he did it. And we're looking for the ray crop of the kind of small urban farm where somebody figures out how to do a profitability and then can scale it. Because if you want to scale a vertical farm or a, especially an urban farm, it's going to have to be, I don't think it's going to be the way the, the big, some of these companies that we just mentioned did it. I think it's going to be small farm makes a profit and replicates it over and over and over again. So that's who we're looking for. We've invested in some of those. Some of them are kind of trudging along. Not really going gangbusters, but, you know, either somebody in our current portfolio, they might have that breakout moment or somebody new might come to us and we'll invest and they they really figure out how to do it right. And you know, the other thing I would mention about vertical farmings, it is very much regional. A lot of these technology companies were trying to create a one size fits all sort of business model of technology, but that's just not the way it's like any other farming. You know, a lot of it is very much location based. I mean. Now you don't have, you don't necessarily have drought or weather, but you have, you know, labor costs vary from an urban area to a suburban area in some regions. Weather, although there's a controlled environment, weather is huge because if you have to pay massive heating costs or have some sort of massive heating system for your vertical farm in the winter, that's going to be a lot different where the farmers down here in Texas, where the summers are, it's 109 out like it is today. And they have to cool this and control the humidity and that takes and run their grow lights. And that takes a lot of electricity. So all those factors need to be taken into play. And if you're starting up a farm and you just think, oh, I'm going to, I went up and visited this farm in New York and I'm going to put it down in Alabama, that's probably not going to do well for you without taking those you know, environmental factors and cost factors into consideration.
0: Yeah, that's a very important point. And it almost lends itself to specialists or consultants who kind of understand the intricacies of the different regions. And maybe like if you're doing a farm in, you know, Southeast or versus Northwest of the United States, you're going to have completely different, you know, climate considerations. And I think, you know, there's probably space there for someone and maybe there's, you know, specialists in each region who understand and saying, Hey, if you're coming down here, you know I can tell you the lay of the land and what you, you what you should expect in terms of energy costs as well, which is which are a real big consideration, so oh, when farmers are getting started and the how far along their life cycle are they before they start to consider you know needing some help with financing in terms of like you know how long they've been in business?
1: It depends, and i'll I'll start by saying some of the early farms we did. That we raised capital for, it was a different fundraising environment. So three to four years ago, not only was indoor farming more novel and people were excited about investing in it, the funding environment writ large was different. So, so somebody could come to us with not much more than a plan, an idea, maybe a location picked out, some things like that. And raise a considerable amount of money to start this farm from scratch, whereas today you know, traction is always a word we use a lot and we want to see, you know, not only financial traction is like, have you had other people invest? That's always a helpful thing. Nobody wants to be the first check writer necessarily when you're raising capital, although we have on, on many occasions, we've been the last money in, first money in, and kind of in the middle there. But if you've got a really grand plan, then you're going to need, I'm just throwing out a number, $5 million and you've only got... and you come to us and you might raise, you know, the average check that we're going to write is going to be $200,000 to a couple of million dollars. That's kind of the range of what our raises are. We're not doing, you know, series F rounds where we're writing $150 million checks like some of the indoor farming companies got. Now they've pretty much blown through all that cash. So traction is important. Experience is another important thing. So You know, if a new, somebody wants to start a brand new farm and they come to us, like I said, three or four years ago, if you had no farming experience, you would probably walk away with a check. Now, I want to know that you not only do you know how to grow stuff, but do you know how to sell stuff in sales and marketing? Or do you have somebody on your team? So ideally you have a team where there's a sales and marketing and business acumen and somebody with a growing acumen, they agriculture side of things it's very rare that you're going to get somebody that's good at both of those skill sets because they're so different that the selling piece is vastly different we'll, we'll see you know couples husband wife whatever kind of couples sometimes and that can work if you know maybe the woman's into the growing and the husband's into the sales and marketing and counting and all that stuff that's the model that could work or you know you've got a team something larger scale you've got a team together and you've got aspects of all those things and finance and you know, it's because it's all about reducing the risk for us and for our investors. So, the more you can show that traction in ability to execute, that's a really intangible thing. It's hard in entrepreneurship to predict. I mean, it's one thing to have a good idea, and we see that all the time. And to even have a nice business plan, it's another thing to be able to execute a business plan. So, we look for people. Even if it's not, they haven't, you know, we don't necessarily need somebody that has started a successful indoor farm before. But have you ever started something and finished something and done it successfully? That's really, really important. It doesn't matter. Scale is not as important as just proving that you can do something. And so a lot of times we'll get, you know, people that have really high, smart, academic technology, patents, all this kind of stuff. Well, What else have you done besides you know, come up with ideas and patent things. I want to see some proof of execution or that maybe you're the idea guy and then you have a person on your team that can do the execution piece. So it's a very holistic type of business. And that's, we want to see teams that have that wide approach.
0: Is it safe to say that you've gotten better as an organization at looking at companies who are coming to you for that funding? And because of all the aspects of the business that you now, you know, putting under the microscope, having a better idea of who's going to have a a chance for success.
1: Yeah, a hundred, like I said, early on, we made mistakes. Some of those mistakes included due diligence and probably selecting some farms for funding that wouldn't pass today. You know, hindsight's always twenty-twenty, that sort of thing. But part of that is just iteration and experience good and bad. And we see maybe 30 deals per month and maybe five of those are indoor. So we've seen these over and over and over again. I've probably talked to three indoor farmers in the past week. So there's a lot of, especially these days, there's a lot more deals chasing less capital than there was several years ago.
0: If there's a farm, indoor farm owner listening and is excited about the opportunity to grow and obviously is in the need and thinking about financing, you know, prior to having a conversation and picking up the phone and calling Harvest returns, like, how can they think about the best way to prepare themselves for this first conversation with you? So they put themselves in the best light. So they know that, you know, they want to be taken seriously. And, you know, given everything they've heard in this episode, you don't know, want to make sure that they have a positive outcome with you. You know, there's probably some things that they could do everything you've probably talked about, but maybe there's some other Due diligence on their part that would put them in, in the best light for, for you guys.
1: Yeah, Harry, I'd say probably the number one thing is to understand your financial projections. That's really, really important. And you'll hear the phrase these days, unit economics, thrown out a lot. Oh. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, you know, and you wouldn't hear that three or four years ago. Where if you're going to oh. sell me a head of lettuce or a little bundle of basil and it costs, You can only sell it for $3. I don't want to see that. And if you can't explain that to me, I definitely don't want to see that. So understand your numbers. And I know not everybody's a financial genius, but there are plenty of people out there who are. So seek that help. There's plenty of consultants out there specifically in the indoor farming industry, financial consultants, and I'll just say entrepreneurs and new companies writ large. Accounting is boring and it's very mundane and, you know, especially if you're kind of the entrepreneurial mindset where like, I just want to make stuff happen, which is great. That's kind of me. But if you don't have that accounting, you don't understand your numbers and, or have somebody that can do that for you, then you're not going to have a successful business period. So I don't care what you're doing, you know, but farming especially. So pay attention to your numbers and try to understand and be able to articulate your numbers before you approach anybody or capital, whether it's a bank loan or a company like ours that has some financing available. So on the other side of the
0: transaction, obviously you help pulled together investors who are interested in this space. And I imagine, you know, a lot of them probably are getting cold feet based on what they're seeing happening in the past couple of years. So can you talk a little bit about, cause I know I think most people don't get too much of an insight into what's happening and into how you build those relationships on the investor side. So, you know, what do those conversations look like?
1: Yeah, so we have a pool that we've grown slowly and surely of fourteen thousand investors. And that's those are all people that have signed up for our platform that are interested in investing in some aspect of agriculture. And if they vary widely, you know, they're all have some means because our minimum investment is five, ten thousand dollars, but in many cases it's higher. And so they've got some financial savvy. They've got most of them are accredited investors, which there's a definition of what that means. It's just high net worth or high income earners. And they all have some interest in agriculture. And that interest varies significantly across individual investors. So some, we have people that only want to do livestock because they come from, a you know, that sort of background or they like that industry. We have a complete opposite. We have some investors who are vegans and they will only do, veganic investments and that's just a thing. And then there's kind of in the middle, you know, people that we personally have a you know, as a company, we have a sustain a bias towards sustainability. We have a bias towards doing things that make sense for the environment, whether that's the climate, biodiversity, watersheds, and those last two you don't hear enough about because they're overshadowed by the carbon discussions. So reducing, you know, the footprint on watersheds, reducing the chemicals that flow into the watersheds and then reducing impacts to biodiversity, you know, to negative impacts to biodiversity are very, very important. So we have some of those, those investors that they really want to orient them, their money towards those sort of projects. And then we have some that just don't like the stock market and want alternative investments. And they've heard farming and agriculture, there's something to it and they can make money. And we have some of those too. And some, you know, Venn diagram of overlap of those sort of things. So we love talking to our farmers, but we like to hear from our investors and hear what they're interested in. And the primary way we do that is to see what they actually invest in when we put up in front of them on a platform. You know, our typical raise, we gather these small checks of five, ten, twenty five thousand dollars $25,000, and we put them all together. And then we'll write a significantly larger check, 30 to 40 investors represented in an LLC. And then we invest in a farm or we loan money to the farm or whatever the case may be. And these days, investors, here's how the, the environment has changed in a nutshell. One, the risk-free rate has increased. So where people a year ago, two years ago, they had money in a savings account, money market, certificate deposit, treasury bill that was making 1% or less, a lot less. Now they can just put their money and get guaranteed 5% returns in one of those vehicles. So if you come to me and say, hey, we're going to get a 6% return in my investing in my vertical farm, that's just not going to do it because there's this level of risk. So we're going to need to see a higher return. And we're going to need to see you know, the financial projections that are going to get you that return and all these other things, risk mitigation that I've talked about and the ability to execute. So the bar is a lot higher now, unfortunately, for companies raising capital than it was just a few years ago because investors don't want to lose money. They're trusting their money hard-earned money to an entrepreneur and they want to see that that entrepreneur, that she knows what she's doing or that he's not just going to run away with the money. And, the, you know, there's obviously a the difference in fraud and poor execution, but that poor execution is, and we've got ways that we do to prevent the fraud most of the time, but that poor execution is can lead to bad results. So I imagine there's ways for,
0: folks who are interested in becoming an investor and who have specific needs and, and interests. You mentioned, you know, veganism, interest in regenerative agriculture, you know, obviously are concerned with all the chemicals that are being used in the growth of these traditional crops. They can schedule some time with you or there's probably information on the site to kind of narrow down and see where there's opportunities and projects they can invest in that speaks to what they're passionate about.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've, you know, part of this Many investors, they've never invested in agriculture before. So our platform is the first opportunity they've had to do it. So we've tried to education is a big part of what we do and get a lot of content out there, blogs and videos. And, you know, I go on some podcasts like this to kind of help educate people on both sides of, of the business. But of course, I'll get on a zoom one on one or a phone call one on one with any investor that wants to talk to us. We'll provide webinars. So every time a deal comes up, we'll do a webinar and that'll be an opportunity for the the farmer, the business person is to speak directly to the investors and take their Q&A so they can better understand the farm before they invest. Of course, investors want to visit the farms before or after the investment. They can do that. That's kind of, you work with us, you have to be open to having investors come visit your facility. Can't be anything super secret that you don't want to share with people. Yeah, believe me, we've seen some of that. And, but, so there's a real educational piece on the investor side and we think that's important because it's that's the way that you're going to get more people interested in funding, especially this sector, vertical farming. And you know, I'm sure because you do this and we do this, we believe in this sector. We believe it's important. We believe it's important to diversify the food system and to grow more food, more places, more sustainably. And the only way we're going to do that is if we can convince investors that it's a good idea to allocate capital to do that so that's why we're in this
0: yeah very helpful information thanks for sharing that then we'll make sure that all that information is available in the show notes a couple questions as we wrap up what's a tough question that you've had to ask yourself recently
1: oh wow i guess the question is where is our company going you know like any company you have a business trajectory, directory and i think we're we don't call ourselves a startup anymore we're past that stage We've kind of gone through those scary first five years where we almost went out of business two or three times and almost ran out of money two or three times that we're in more of a stage of which way are we going to go? How are we going to grow? So I personally asked myself, what is my future with this company that we started? And you know, not every founder stays with the company forever because not every founder has the skill sets to run a startup, medium-sized company, growth company, large company, whatever. That's probably a question... I contemplate every now and then
0: i've been leaving some time at the end of these conversations for an opportunity for an you to, opportunity to speak to this industry because obviously there's a lot of founders ceos folks who you know are very tied into this industry you know want to hear what's happening so is there a message that you have for the you know the vertical farming industry that comes that's top of mind for you
1: yeah for us specific on the, the financing and the investment side is focus on profitability Overgrowth at this stage, the the days of people throwing money at your your business plan without an expectation for a return with just an expectation of subsequent funding rounds and some sort of exit based on that are over. So investors want to see a path to profitability, a a quick path to profitability. So refine your plans to achieve profitability as quickly as possible.
0: That's helpful advice probably in any industry. (laughs) but specifically for this audience yeah, given yeah. everything that's been happening so chris i want to thank you for your time this has been extremely educational and helpful and i think it's going to be very interesting for a lot of folks here to hear what's happening because as with any business you know cash flow is king and running a successful business is really important but also partnering with people who believe in the vision and also mm-hmm. that they can trust i think is important and i think we've you know definitely established that's something that's in the DNA of Harvest Returns and yourself. So I think people are going to be paying close attention to what we've talked about here, but also just to, to learn more. So website is harvestreturns.com. Is there anywhere else you want to send folks to learn more? or I mean, conversation? can, can visit
1: else? all our social media. We've got some great, clever social media people on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and X, whatever it is these days, all those things. So yeah, find us and reach out to us and, course, pick up a phone or email, we'll answer those too. We don't have bots, we have people.
0: Thanks again for this enlightening conversation. I really
1: appreciate it. All well, right. awesome. Thanks a lot, Harry.
0: Thanks again for listening. As always, eternally grateful to my guests for spending that precious hour of time with me and sharing their story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you'll find summaries, key takeaways, and resources mentioned, and also a back catalog of all our past episodes. Special thanks to our title sponsor, AgTech Marketing Team. If you or your team have been struggling to come up with a comprehensive social media marketing plan and don't know where to begin, reach out to them today. With expertise in strategy, paid media, community management, content generation, influencer, and email marketing, their team can have you up and running in a fraction of the time it would take you to hire a full team and at a fraction of the cost. Learn more at agtechmarketingteam.com. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. To learn about the five key pillars of a successful podcast that every business owner needs to know prior to launching, visit fullcast.co and watch the free video. As a reminder, if you've enjoyed this episode or past episodes, do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. And don't forget to tune in next week for a conversation with yet another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.